Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. The moment of the evening every K-State fan enjoys Settle down and pour a whiskey, crack open a LaCroix Please put your hands together and make a little noise For your favorite wildcatters, the handsome Bosco boys Ooh, Bosco's boys Come on, boys Uh, boys are back and by boys are back, I mean we are the Bosco's boys. I'm going at it solo, uh, accompanied by Mr. Chauncey Bosco, the puppy, running around in the background. So you might be be hearing him stampeding around. But boys and girls, it's still game week. Uh, if you haven't, go back and listen to the Bosco's boys prediction episode from Monday, yesterday. Because quite frankly, that is my favorite episode of the year, every year, I love that episode. It, it is truly one of my favorites, and uh, I think when you listen to it, you'll know why I love it so mo- much. Both myself and Grant are quite bullish and excited for this year to kick off. Um, I think big things are going to happen. I I legitimately believe it. I'm I'm not going to. I'm not going to say my prediction. I want you guys to go back and listen to it if you haven't. But if you strap me into a lie detector test right now and ask me to predict every single one of those games, I would have answered it the exact same way. I don't I don't know if Grant would have. I think I think Grant was feeling himself. I think he got caught up in the moment on a couple of those games. But I, I'm pumped for the game. I think everyone should be pumped for this season. I there's something magical in the air out in Manhattan, and I think it is going to be one of these special seasons that we look back on and really cherish and think back. Oh man, what a game that was! Is it going to be up there with 98, 97? You know those you know 11 win seasons. I don't know. Probably not. Is it going to be like 2012? Probably not. But is it going to replicate or kind of feel a little bit like 2011? Maybe. Maybe. I, th- I think this could be uh, just one of those years that exemplify how great a game college football is. It's, it's going to be one of those seasons where, no, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and say, hey, we're legitimate college football contenders right now. But it, this is going to be a season where uh, being a college football fan is fun. You're going to have hatred going towards Oklahoma and Texas for the bullshit they're pulling. You're going to have the budding rivalry in the kind of, okay, we have to get them back aspect of that game versus uh, Iowa State. You're going to have an all-too-familiar feeling K-State fans have playing that game versus KU where it's like, okay, this can't even be close. You know, It's not about beating them. It's about by how much. And then they have a new coach who – Everyone thinks is the next savior. Like I think that I, I think I read somewhere they're double-digit point favorites in their opening game, and 
let's just, let's just call a spade a spade. The South Dakota Coyotes are shit. They're not a good FCS team. So KU could win that game by 10, and it, it would not mean anything at all. But again, their fans are going to get excited. And every year they start convincing themselves, oh, this is the year we're going to get K-State back. And then we get to stop them. You're going to have the revenge game type aspect for Skylar Thompson. He's going to go down to Texas Tech. He's going to play against the guy who ended his uh, regular senior year. He gets to come back for a super senior year. And he gets to go out for revenge. You also get to try to avenge. I won't say revenge. You get to avenge some late collapses versus Oklahoma State and Baylor. Uh, Every game... Maybe with the exception of Southern Illinois, there is massive talking points surrounding it. And that's what that's what makes college football so much fun. That's why I'm buzzing. That's why it's, you know, a Tuesday afternoon. And all I can think about is getting to Saturday to get this season started. So I'm pumped. Everyone should be. Go back and listen to that K-State predictions episode from Grant and I. Um, this episode, we're going to talk about the depth chart that broke out. I'm going to... Uh, talk about it you know I I honestly don't think it means a lot but I mean it's some pretty big news that dropped on this Monday afternoon Um, and then I'm going to talk about how I think conference realignment specifically for the Big 12 is going to play out it's been a while since we had a true update either on the live shows or on, on one of our big Monday shows uh, so so it's been a little bit, so we're going to touch on that because there has been some news coming out of the Pac-12, the whole alliance thing going on with the Pac-12, ACC, and Big Ten. So there is a lot of, uh, a lot of news that we might as well clean up here, uh, final week of Blitz Month. Before we do, got to give a shout out to Spotify Green Room. Okay, if you're listening to this on release day on Tuesday... We are going live tomorrow at 7 p.m. We're going live every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Usually. There might be some things that change around um, depending on like, you know, I I don't know what might pop up. But we moved it to Wednesday because it worked best for all of you guys. It worked better for us. So we're going live Wednesday at 7 p.m. We're going to preview the Stanford game with you, the Boneheads. Who is going to be the most important player? Who's going to be your pick to perform? What's your game prediction? What are your keys to V? We're going to run it all down. It's finally time the Boneheads get their voice out there. And I can't wait. And then also Wednesday, we are going to have our first game preview. Pick'em is going to be back. Get over to the Bosco's Boys Twitter account so you can get your vote in The Boneheads will have their Twitter vote. Grant and I will be going head-to-head. It's going to be awesome. We're going to bring back Wildcat Roundup where I'm going to touch on volleyball and women's soccer and then any other K-State news that might not specifically be in there for uh, K-State football in the upcoming game. Um, But yeah, let's jump into the episode. Oh, also Thursday, uh, Travis Tannehill will be on the show with Grant, the former roommate. So that will be our final Blitz Month Uh, interview and this is the final week of blitz month again we've put out one new episode every weekday um the entire month of august and now into september leading up to game week thank you to everyone who helped make that possible so let's jump into 
the depth chart. At first, I'm just going to read it through. Then I'm going to give any sort of observations or any uh, you know takes. There's a lot of folks who I think are getting far too concerned about the depth chart. Um, but, you know, it, it is news. It's going to give some insight. So let's just run through it real quick, and then we'll double back. Uh, your starters at wide receiver, Malik Knowles, Phillip Brooks, Landry Weber. Your backups, Keenan Garber, Chabashin Taylor, uh, Cade Warner, and Tyrone Howell. So let's just kind of break that down real quick. I think a lot of folks are going to be surprised by saying Tyrone Howell as a backup, and it's behind Landry Weber. This is what I'm going to say to folks who might be getting a little worked up, thinking, all right, why is Landry Weber starting? First off, again, take everything with a grain of salt on this depth chart, but Landry Weber had a great spring and fall. We've mentioned him a few times. The coaches have mentioned him a few times. And if you look at the group of wide receivers who are on the two deep, this guy is the best blocker of them all. And if you look at some of the big plays, the big runs downfield, it's being sprung by the wide receivers blocking downfield. Also, you know, as much as as much love as we've been giving Tyrone Howell, he's only been in practice. Like, he showed up the day of fall camp versus Landry Weber, who's been there the entire Chris Kleiman era. So I, w- I would say don't get too worked up about that. Now let's go to running backs. Nothing surprising here. Deuce Vaughn. Joe Irvin. I think it's almost a little bit unfair uh, to not have Jarkadia Wright in there because we know they like to use three running backs. We know that you're probably going to see three running backs a game, sometimes four. But I think that's really a testament to how well Joe Irvin has been in fall camp. So I, I, I'm pumped to see what those two can do, and I think Jarkadia will be awesome there too. No surprise at the number one line, Jax, the Seawolf, Deneen. He's starting. I, I think we saw it before he broke his hand. He really started becoming, you know, a guy who was getting one or two touches a game and, you know, picking up, you know, 15 yards a catch. He is going to get in the end zone this year. I, I want it really bad. A little bit of a surprise, you have Mason Barta or Christian Moore. That's a bit of a surprise for me. Christian Moore actually was the very first Chris Kleiman, pure recruit in that first full recruiting class. Haven't heard much from him, but it's encouraging to see him kind of get on that depth chart and maybe be that next guy after Jax does leave. Next up, most anticlimactic thing, Skylar Thompson, Will Howard, 1-2, QB1, QB2. Again, the most surprising thing is, you know, starting to get used to seeing Skylar Thompson wearing number seven. That's like really the only only, uh, surprising thing there. I, I'm not thinking we're going to see I, – I actually, if you put a gun to my head, I would say that you only see Will Howard in four or less games. I don't really see the point in preserving his red shirt since he has the COVID super senior year as well. But I, I just I just don't see it. Again, maybe I'll be surprised. Maybe they really do want to use him in running situations. I, I think that would be a mistake. He might be bigger. He might be faster. I don't know if you can teach the instincts, which is something Skyler has, you know, at that first down line, at that goal line. So, I, I again, not surprising. Still having to get used to seeing Skyler Thompson on the seven next to him, uh, but that's nothing crazy. This is the thing that's probably getting the most talk, and that is the tight end line. Nick Lenners is listed as the number one tight end, and Daniel Matterbebe and Sammy Wheeler have an or in between them. 
I think people are looking far too into it. Nick Lenners is a guy who is always going to be out there in two tight end sense. He's he's going to be a blocker. I mean, hell, folks forget that the first year uh, Chris Kleiman was around, he was listed as a fullback. I mean, he's just a guy. He's a blocking weapon who on occasion can catch a pass. I think anytime you're looking for a big player for a tight end to you know catch the ball in the passing game, it's going to be a matter of Bebe. Like 80% of the time, it's going to be, you know, Sammy Wheeler, the other 15. I don't think that's something to get worked up over, but it is going to be a talking point. It's probably going to be something that is asked at the press conference Tuesday at noon. I'm sure someone will ask about it. But again, I I, I don't think that's anything to worry too much about. Um, Let's get into the offensive line. From left to right, nothing too crazy as your stars. You have Cooper Beebe, Josh Revis, Noah Johnson, Ben Adler, Christian Duffy. Nothing surprising there. Left to right, that's exactly what we expected, especially with the uh, news of, uh, you know, Taylor Portier being hurt for that right guard because I think he was pushing Ben Adler. On the two lines, you have KT Leviston actually playing guard, not tackle. He's backing up Josh Rivas or Dawson Delforge. So that's the only or on the offensive line side. Carver Willis is currently backing up BB. Hayden Gillum is listed as the backup center. Hanley Panzer is listed as the backup right guard. I think Panzer is probably your... Panzer might be the guy who is the backup for all three interior spots. Maybe not. Maybe maybe it's going to be... uh, Maybe they trust Carver Willis to pop up and BB will rotate in there. But I I really am a big fan of Hanley Panzer. And then... Former tight end who, I mean, I wish I had his job to eat into a left tackle. I mean, I, I mean, if I had his athleticism and height, maybe I could have played tackle. But then you have Logan Long, and that wraps up the def- or the offensive side. Defense, it really is uh, pretty chalky. Nothing too, nothing too crazy. You have Khalid Duke, uh, Timmy Horn, Eli Huggins, Felix, and Adike as your starting defensive line. They love to rotate so much that, honestly, it doesn't matter who's on the one or on the two. You have an eight-man rotation on that defensive line. Your twos are Nate Matlack, Robert Hentz, Jalen Pickle, and Boom Massey. Again, Khalid Duke has all the hype, all the intangibles. Felix Andike is another guy who is so athletic on the ends. And then you have Nate Matlack who was the off-season workout warrior of the year. Then you have Boom Massey, who's been you know making plays for you for four or five years. I really like how that is lining up. You've heard a lot of great things recently about Robert Hentz behind Timmy Horn, who Timmy Horn is going to be an all-conference type player if he lives up to the hype. And Hentz has been getting some love there too. And Jalen Pickle made some plays as a young guy last year. I think he takes another step forward. I'm again. It's probably because we're five games out from the first game, but I'm I'm really starting to come around on this defensive or defensive line, especially some of those guys on the inside, uh, linebackers, uh, and, and we'll get to what is being listed as the strong side linebacker last. So you got at Will Cody Fletcher at Mike Daniel Green. Nothing surprising there, and then Austin Moore, Nick Allen backing them up again. Nothing surprising there. There there's nothing there that I. That even piques my interest. You know, everyone's in see it to believe it mode with all four of those guys. So let's just wait and see what we can see. 
your boundary corners are Julius Brents and Echo Boydo. Again, two guys who have so much hype. If one of them can lock down one side of the field, the other guy is going to have a shot at a lot of interceptions. Because I think these are two future NFL cornerbacks, and I, I'm not going to come off of that. I, I think if Julius Brents has a big year, he might leave even this season. So I'm excited for that. Uh, behind them, T. Denson and Justin Gardner. T. Denson, another one of those young Georgia defensive backs that we love so much. He's going to get plenty of time. And Justin Gardner, this is his senior year. He's that long guy, he, er, long arms. He has great long arms, has great recovery speed. And that's a guy who he might get beat right off the line of scrimmage. But he has the ability to catch back up and make a play with those big long arms. So both those guys will see lots and lots of time. Uh, J-Mac is your starting strong safety. Russ Yeast starting free safety. Nothing crazy there. TJ Smith behind Russ Yeast. Nothing crazy here. Here's the only thing on the depth chart where I'm putting some weight in and I have a little bit of concern. You still have Ross Elder uh, listed as the backup strong safety. You haven't heard a lot about Ross making a big step forward this season, which is concerning, Um, and he's still there. You brought in Sincere Mason, and he has multiple years of eligibility left. Him not being the backup behind J-Mac, assuming he's healthy, is the only concern I have when I look at this. So, I mean, I don't know. We're going to have to see what happens. I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. I I, I just, I, I, I wish Sincere Mason was on there. Otherwise, the defensive part of the depth chart is exactly how I would have written it up. So, I'm excited to see that. Except for, actually, I think I might have predicted Boom Massey being the starter over Felix and DK, but we'll see what happens there. All right, let's get into special teams. Um, you know, not, not a lot of clarity um, on a couple of these. You got Tayton Winkle uh, currently being listed as the place kicker or Ty Zentner. Don't like not having a cemented guy for field goals. Might be one of those things where anything beyond 45, Ty gives it a boot. Um Anything inside, it's Mr. Winkle, but we'll have to see what happens there. Um, punt, punting, you got Ty Zentner, and then Chris Tennant is your number two. Holder, you got uh, Jack Bloomer. And Ty Zentner is being listed as the number two holder here. Um, that almost makes me think that, hey, he isn't going – like, it'll only have to be, all right, we're in a situation where we're – end of the half, and we're trying to kick a 50-yard field goal, and then he'll go out there. So that really makes me think that Winkle is going to be your place kicker. Long snapper, you got uh, Raiden Plantner and Nelson Pipes. Again, I actually long snapped in high school. I don't know much about them, but I'll definitely keep my eye on them. We got Zentner or Bloomer as your punter. That was an entire last year. They, They switched off all last year, back and forth, back and forth. Um... So we'll see who ends up succeeding there. Uh, punt return, Philip Brooks. Uh, behind him is Malik Knowles. Nothing too crazy. And then you have Malik Knowles and Deuce Vaughn at kickoff. Here's something that I think Grant has said a couple times. I I don't know if I've ever said it, um, but it's something that's being said a lot on social media, especially on kick return. There are a lot of injuries on kick return. I, I think how plays go... That is the number one play where folks get injured. 
But it is almost never the kick returner who is getting hurt. So I don't have any issues with Malik Knowles and uh, Deuce Vaughn being those guys unless they're already banged up. If they're already banged up, let's get Phillip Brooks back there. That's fine. Uh, but I don't have any issue with those guys as is doing that. Because at most, that's what, maybe two or three extra touches a game? You know, that that's not a big enough injury risk uh, if those are the two best guys where you can see them making big plays, taking it the distance. So I'm fine with that. Punt return is another story. I think I'd probably like someone besides Malik Knowles backing up Phillip Brooks on punt return because you do see those returners get hurt a little bit more, especially if they're uh, you know easier to take a cheap shot. I think you can make a play happen. I, I would maybe like to see Malik Knowles moved off of punt return. But hey, Phillip Brooks is an All-American. He's Nothing's going to happen to him there. So that's the depth chart. Tweet in. Let me know if you are concerned about any of it. Do you, do you have more concern about the depth chart than, than me? Do you put more value into it than I do? Let me hear your thoughts. Tweet at Boscos Boys or Scott Wildcat. Let me know your thoughts on the depth chart. Now let's just wrap up. This isn't going to be an extremely long show. Let's wrap up with just some conference realignment news. Um, the biggest piece of news... And it dropped last week. Actually, there were two pretty big pieces of news that dropped last week. The first one was the alliance, which is really just a, okay, we're friends for a while, between the Pac-12, Big Ten, and ACC. I ultimately think it's a lot of nothing. They can't really do much scheduling agreements because, you know, a lot of these schools are scheduled out all the way to the 2030s. So that's not going to really be anything. So it's mainly them saying, "Hey, for now we're not going to we're not going to poach from each other." They were asked about the Big 12. They said, "Oh, the Big 12 is an important part of college athletics." Yada yada yada. They don't mean that shit. Uh, otherwise, they would have invited the Big 12 to be in their agreement. I'm not again not overly worried about it. I think at the end of the day, uh, the it, it ultimately ended up being a big nothing burger um, with. Some of the news that came out later. That news is that the Pac-12 is not going to expand. So I'm fine with that because at the end of the day, like, I think we convince ourselves, oh yeah, we, we might be going to the Pac-12. I don't think at the end of the day there was ever really much of a scenario outside of J-Boy um, that saw the Pac-12 expanding including K-State. Now, from there... All the rumors of, okay, now the Big 12 is going to expand started coming out. And then with that, and let me just kind of get this off my chest. That, with that came like the all the national media folks, you know, tripping over themselves and jerking each other off with their, oh, the Big 12 is worse than the AAC jokes, all this type of stuff. Oh, the Big 12 can't put together a conference that's better than the Pac-12. That's bullshit. It, it's so stupid. It's so tired. I'm so over it. Um, before we get into some of the other stuff, there has been a lot of good work from some of the folks out there, Big 12 fans. Sikkim365 did a great in-depth analysis of TV ratings between the remaining eight Big 12 schools versus the AAC. And basically did it to combat Stuart Mandel, who is a West Coast shrill, who honestly is lacking and losing credibility every single day in my eyes. I used to listen to his podcast and read what he wrote 
uh, like it was, you know, the gospel. But the guy is just outing himself as a Pac-12 homer shrill. And and it's quite annoying. He even acknowledged that the Sikkim 365 uh, analysis went way more in depth than he did. Yet he still has his piece from over a month ago penned on his Twitter profile. It is so stupid. And it just kind of exemplifies how the Big 12 just kind of got screwed by the national media. For better or worse, there is no national Big 12 guy, standard bearer in the media. Never has been. And and that is just so frustrating. There's a whole Big 10 media mafia. There's all the West Coast athletic guys. There are tons of SEC folks. And then the ACC, it's just, okay, you know, there's not really a lot of them. But, you know, they're slobbering over Clemson. It is what it is. We never had those guys in the Big 12. You know, you never had your national media guys who went to bat for the Big 12. And that's part of why we're here. And it's all this whole perception, which kind of gets into what we need to see from the Big 12 when it comes to expansion. Um, and I'm get, I'm just going to dive into my thoughts, um, and you guys can let me know. The the only two things, and, and I know folks have these wild romantic ideas of what the Big 12 can turn into and, oh, the future of college sports and, oh, we need to be forward-looking. I I understand that. I'm not trying to tell folks who have that notion that they're dumb. I do think they're being a little ignorant to to the position the Big 12 is in right now. The only two things that should matter to the university presidents and Bob Bowlesby are maximizing your current TV contract and putting yourself in the position to maximize your next one and cementing yourself as the fifth best football conference in the eyes of the national media. Here's something that, and we'll get to the first one. I think for the first one, the only way you can truly maximize your TV revenue is adding BYU. I understand there are a lot of folks who don't want BYU for a bunch of reasons. Some folks say they're tougher to deal with. They probably are tougher to deal with than, say, like a Colorado State. And I get that the religious aspect of the school alienates a lot of folks. But, I mean, we already have fucking Baylor. You know, and I get it. Why add another one? I I, I understand it. But here's the thing. When you look at non-Power 5 TV ratings, they're one of the best. They have, out of non-Power 5 schools, they're the only G, like non-affiliated P5 school or Notre Dame that that has a rich college football history and brand associated with them outside of Army and Navy. They're the only school that truly is going to increase your current media value. There is no other school. If you could get by with that and only have nine... I would say only go to nine, only add them. I don't think that's realistic, and that's to the next point. To cement yourself in the eyes of the national media as the fifth best school, which data does or conference, which data does not does not like back up. Data would say, with the moves I'm proposing, we would be the third best. We would be in front of the Pac-12 and the ACC. Shout out to D. Lou over at the Short Side Option, another great K-State podcast. He did a lot of great work laying out the S&P uh, Plus, S&P, or SP Plus rankings, power rankings, and 
with what I'm proposing, we would be the runaway third best conference in front of both the, both the Pac-12 and ACC. But the national media has the narrative that a Big 12, a new Big 12, would not even be better than the ACC. And it's laughable. Stuart Mandel laughs at the idea that it'd be better than the Pac-12. Stuart Mandel's a hack. But if you then cripple the AAC, which is something that which is my proposal, you have to take away the media narrative that the AAC is better than the Big 12. So you're going to have to take three of their best schools. If I'm running the show, the number one call, Cincinnati. New market, good football, relative, like, recent history, always good football. They've cycled through a few coaches. They've been successful with all of them. You know, fun little stadium. I, I think Cincinnati is behind BYU. They would be my number two school. Number three is when you can start arguing. You can start having discussions. Ultimately, a lot of the smoke isn't with Cincinnati being the second team. It's with Central Florida being the second team. They're one of the largest undergrad universities. They have an on-campus stadium. Um, You know, you're in Florida. Do they have a passionate, dedicated fan base? Not really. You know, I would say probably amongst all those students that they have, they're probably not even the favorite college football program. But the potential to build up that fan base and the TV ratings are there and they have been very good at different times in the recent history. And again, when your goal is to cement yourself as the number five football conference and doing that by killing the AAC's claim to that, the Americans' claim to that, I think you need to take UCF. Now, here's where the debate, I think, really heats up. Ultimately, I land with the fourth team being Houston. Grab the best remaining Texas school. They have, they, they've invested in football. Central Florida, honestly, they invest in football more than any of the remaining eight teams except for Texas Tech. So I think that's why they ultimately would be my number three call. Houston ultimately is the next one. They have fine TV ratings. They have a decent sized school that still kind of carries that commuter school idea, but they just recently renovated new, uh, you know, football stadium. I think ultimately they're the pick. You have to get Texas tech specifically on board. You probably need to make Baylor and TCU felt heard to get them in. But I think ultimately that is the correct move. Now I could also listen to an argument for Memphis. Ultimately, why I don't want to go with Memphis is TV ratings don't blow any of the others out of the water. I hate the Liberty Bowl, which is what it ultimately well not ultimately. I think I think Houston brings you some stuff. Um, but I, I just I just don't I don't want Memphis. If if it's Houston or Memphis, I'm choosing Houston. Now this is where things can get different. The last time around, and again, a lot has changed since the last time around, FedEx was willing to be a name sponsor of the Big 12 and pay up to get Memphis in the Big 12. Now, what sort of, and again, I, I don't know if this is collusion, I don't know if this is bribery, I don't know if what I'm proposing is a felony or what, um, but if FedEx is willing to say, hey, look, we will become this 
sponsored partner, and that's an extra $10 million a year to the Big 12, or even five, or even $1 million a year to the Big 12, because they pick up the sponsorship of the football game or of the basketball tournament or something like that. Now, if that's on the table, you choose Memphis. But I don't know if that is going to be on the table. I know there's a lot of love for Boise State. For better or worse, Boise State is not an option because they're they're basically a JUCO. They have the academics of a junior college. And while I don't think that academics should play a big role or any role in conference expansion, it's going to. When you have, it's just not. It's just not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. I would love to see Colorado State, and I think idealistically, they would be the school that a lot of K State fans want to add. They're a land grant school. They have a true college uh, campus vibe. It's not some, you know, city school like Houston and Central Florida and Cincinnati. The schools that we're going to be adding, but again, they don't bring you enough TV revenue. They don't kneecap the AAC they don't do anything for your national perception as a football conference so ultimately that's a non-starter some folks want to get into UNLV San Diego State all that type of stuff ultimately I had a idea and I'm not the only one I'm not claiming to be the only one of a 16 team conference that would possibly include a San Diego State a Colorado State you know some more western schools BYU Boise State etc but ultimately, I, I don't think that's going to bring enough TV value. So you're going to stick with the 12, 12 max. So that's where I'm at. I, I think that, that those are the two priorities that the Big 12 has to have when they're exploring expansion, maximizing your money, and cementing yourself as the fifth best football conference via handicapping, kneecapping, whatever you want to say, you know, uh, old stash and mo- old-fashioned mafia hit on the AAC. And I, I think that's the way to do it. And I, I won't lie, I'll have a little bit of selfish uh, gratitude. Or I, I, I would get off, basically. I would love to see the AAC kind of destroyed as they were part of ESPN's plan to end the Big 12. So that's where I'm at. Let me know what you want to see the Big 12 do. Um, so that's where we are. That's all I have for this episode. Again, relative, like, you know, we're going to come in under 40 minutes. Um, it was a fun show. Um, tweet tweet in. Let me know what you think about the uh, depth chart. Are you worried about anything? Anything look off to you? Let me know where you're landing on conference realignment. Um, you know, hopefully we don't have to talk about it uh, much until the offseason. I'm sure some stuff will pop up. But, you know, I felt it was important to at least recap it, get my thoughts out there. Let me know your thoughts. We love you guys. Meet Grant at the Cat Head. And, again, tomorrow we have our uh, Stanford preview show going live. We also have our Spotify Green Room show, 7 p.m. Join us Thursday. Travis Tannehill on with Grant. And then Friday we'll publish that Spotify Green Room live show. It's been awesome riding with you guys Blitz Month. Game day is almost here. I can almost taste it. Uh, Stay safe and go Cats, baby. It's time to get set for the cat attack. You can feel the excitement. You can feel it coming on. For Kansas State, the feeling's growing strong. You can join in the action. This is where you want to be with Kansas.
Network.